Hi, and welcome to another installment of Pool Your Shelf Together with eShaper Booksellers. I'm Melissa. And I'm Jessica. And we're a week late on actually doing this podcast. Maybe two. Maybe two. Um, I will take the blame for this because I got a puppy, um, which is our third dog, but this is legit a puppy. She's three months old and she is wearing me out. I'm a little too old for puppies. <laughs> she is adorable though. She and, is, yes. And we, um, we've um we been a little busier in the store and um, we're still a relatively small staff right now. So, so yes, we've had a few other commitments. Yes, things have been happening. But um, we are back and we have some book recommendations. And Jessica and I had... Um, well, reason to celebrate because we both successfully made it through the Grapes of Wrath in time for our book club meeting. It was it was touch and go there for a, for a little while about whether or not we were both going to make it through, but we did. We did, and I I actually really enjoyed it. I'm not sure Melissa enjoyed it as much as I did, but I um I love the writing of John Steinbeck, and initially. This didn't seem like the right book to read during a pandemic, but once I got into it, I really appreciated the sentiments that he was putting out about the way the country had to change to be able to accommodate all its people. Yeah, I I didn't dislike it. Uh, this was my second time reading it. I did read it in high school and wrote a large paper on it, but it had been, you know, since my junior year of high school since I read it, so it was like a whole new book for me. Um, but well, I'm going to chime in on that after Melissa finishes. Um, but um, I I will say that if if you haven't read it, um, it goes back and forth. Like uh, each every other chapter, there's kind of a narrative that draws the lens out and looks at the country as a whole and kind of what's going on in the larger picture. And then there's the chapters that alternate with that, that are specifically about the Jode family. I was in the minority opinion of the people in the book club. I really didn't care about the Jode family uh, as much. I, okay. I didn't, okay. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't not care about them. I just didn't care as much about them as I would like to about the main characters in a book. Um, but I really liked the chapters that pulled the lens back and kind of looked at the larger picture. I thought those were, were really interesting. And it was those chapters where you really got like the cadence of his, his writing. And it was really interesting. Um, but you know, I didn't dislike it. (laughs) So yes, I am going to say I was, um, I liked both narratives and I appreciated both of them. And it definitely has the, the whole book has this kind of almost song like cadence to it. Mm -hmm. And, but the Jode family, I did, I was interested in the characters and, um, but they, they went through so many misfortunes that at a certain point you kind of just felt like, what, what else could possibly go wrong? And then you're like, oh, oh, well that could go wrong too. (laughs) So, um, it, it is, it is a very good read though. And I would recommend it. And I think it is timely to some degree, um, really starkly setting apart the haves and have nots Mm -hmm. and the divide that's created when property is put into the hands of faceless corporations and what kind of society that brings about, which is not necessarily 
a utopian society. In fact, it's absolutely yeah. not a utopian it's society. decidedly not a utopian society. <laughs> yes, I would say the Grapes of Wrath, more dystopian society. Yeah. Um, but um, And how the little man really has to struggle that every time they get a break, the world is really working against them. Yeah. Um, no matter what they do, they seem somewhat powerless. Well, and it's like even the breaks that they got, it was just to subsist. Like they were never doing well. Right. They were they were merely able to eat that day. Yeah. And, you know, eat more than fried dough or just – yeah, like the 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 depictions of these like work camps that they were in with all these other families and just how little they were getting by on is just mind-boggling. It is. And I went back and watched the movie after this and um and I really enjoyed it after having read the book because the movie if you're not going to read the book and you've never seen the movie I would recommend watching the movie because it is almost word for word from the book. There's not a lot of deviation in there. And um, I, you don't get the big macro, micro views that you do from the book, but you definitely get a sense of the desperation of the people and the struggle mm -hmm. and, and Henry Fonda. I admit I have never seen the movie in The Grapes of Wrath, but I, I think it is something that I'll watch at some point. Um, but yeah, I need a little time away from the Jones. <laughs> yes, but um, but it was fun to get back. We're doing a lot of our book groups via Zoom, which we were a little hesitant to do because I think we had an idea that would we would be back at it at some point. But now we realize that it's going to be quite a while before we can have groups of people in the store like that. So um, the Zoom really is fun. It's fun to see everybody's face and kind of catch up with people. And Yeah, it's good. I mean, it, it is not the same as being in person at a book club meeting, but I think it is as close as we can possibly get. And it's better than not having book club meetings. It gives us all um, a little interaction and get to yes. talk about books with people. So that's always good. Yes. Well... Well, so I was just going to segue off of that because one of the things that you said in talking about The Grapes of Wrath actually brought me to the book that I'm reading for the science fiction and fantasy book club for this month. Um, so it's The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley. Um, it's a science fiction uh, title. It's military science fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say... I have not read a lot of military sci-fi. I've read Old Man's War, like the John Scalzi series, um, and then I've read like Ender's Game. But that's really been my um, experience with military sci-fi. It's not what I tend to gravitate to. Um, but this one got amazing reviews and was on a whole bunch of lists. Um, so I picked it. And it's interesting because it's set in the fairly far future. Um there are no more countries. Everything is run by cor like large corporations. So all these people are soldiers for different corporations. And they have colonized Mars at this point. And the Mars colonists are now coming back and attacking. And the moon has been blown up to some degree. Oh, that's not good. No, it's not good. Um, and so... The main character in this is a soldier um, for one of the corporations, and you have to actually earn – not only do you have to earn 
resident status, you also have to earn citizen status. You're not just a citizen. You you have to earn that. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's different levels of people, and they're working towards becoming citizens um, and having a better life. And the soldiers, when they are transporting them to places, they beam them like light. So they... It's almost like Star Trek when mm-hmm. they beam them, but they beam at the speed of light, and sometimes they don't always come out the way they're supposed to. Sometimes they end up inside of structures that they shouldn't be. So that's a dangerous thing in and of itself, and then they're um, just grossly outnumbered in a lot of these battles. And it's this is a very gritty, not lighthearted science fiction uh, book. And so they know that they're fighting this war against the Mars colonists, or so they think, and Mm -hmm. they begin to realize that that may not be what's happening. Um, It's very unclear. And the the narrator, when he um, is beaming into these missions, has no memory when he comes back of what he's done. Like, so... Or his memory of the mission is very, very different than what he's told happens. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So he's an unreliable narrator in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's interspersed in there, there's these um, uh, transcripts of this interrogation with a prisoner that's happening, but you have no idea who's doing the interrogating and you don't know who the prisoner is. It's... Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I keep saying interesting. Because, it, no, it yeah. is. It's very. It is very interesting. Um, it's it's really good. It's just um, it's a little dark and it it's, it sounds more than just a little dark. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the best word I can use to describe it is gritty, just because they're just edgy, edgy, gritty. gritty you know, it's war, dark. and they are not trying to make so, it no fun. humor really. No, not not. Not humorous. the aside or joke or no, not no. really. No, it's not like old man's war where there's like the, you know, moments of levity. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like that at all. But kind very, of like very good. well, yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll go into my my darker book. Um, <laughs> I read this book a while ago. I read it when it actually I read it before it came out. I read it as an advanced reader's copy, mm-hmm. but um, it's been out for a while. And just won the Pulitzer. And it just won the Pulitzer, (laughs) so it's a good time to talk about it. Also, in our current national situation um, and even world situation of um, trying to get a handle on systemic racism, I think this is a very good book to read right now. It's Colson Whitehead's The Nickel Boys, and um, it is very different from Underground Railroad. It is a story about a boy's home in Florida – um, that is based on a true reform school that operated for 111 years and um, really ruined the lives of thousands and thousands of boys, and those were the ones that made it out alive. Many were just buried in unmarked graves. Um, it, it's a horrific and horrible story, and it's, it, it, it's amazing to think that it happened you know, not so long ago in our country. And there's a this this the beginning of the story is um, at the beginning of the civil rights movement, uh, but in the Jim Crow South, 
and uh, there's a boy who's being raised by his grandmother. He's good. He's a good student. He's doing all the right things, but he ends up in the wrong place. And because of his color, he ends up at the school. And um, he makes friends with um, another boy. He's very straight arrow. He's always thinking of and quoting the words of Martin Luther King. He thinks that everything is going to be all right. The other boy is much more street smart, kind of has a much more cynical view of the world. Um, and once they both realize the depth of the horrible things that are going on at the school, they, um, they do everything they can to survive it and get away from it. And then something happens that changes both of their lives. And, and you come out on the end with the narrator who, who is rebuilt his life and is thinking about going to a reunion at the school because they have reunions, but really can't stomach the idea of seeing the place again because it will really bring everything back. And there's a twist in it, which I'm not going to give away if you haven't read it, because it um, it's not as straightforward a narrative as you think it is all along. And um, I, I, I just can't recommend it enough. I love Colson Wrighthead's writing. It's, um, you know, he can be fantastical and write science fiction, and then he can write very clear, crisp prose that's um, moving and readable and um, I'm trying hard not to say beautifully written. <laughs> so um, I think there are a lot of books that we should all be reading right now. Uh, this is one of them. Very good. So, so that one is on my, that actually I have an advanced reader copy of that and it's been in my stack of things to be read for, you know, as long as I've had the arc, but I definitely need to. to it is, it is, um, it is not lighthearted and happy. No, no. Um, well, and that's one of the reasons that I haven't read it up until now because I know it's a dark story and it's but, just, it's, it's like when I want to watch like a, a drama, like a movie, I have to get myself into the headspace to do it. Like I'm always in the mood for a comedy. That's fine. But I, like I, when it goes for like dark movies, mm -hmm. I have to really get myself into a place. Well, this one, even though it's, it's sort of like Justin Ward, um, Sing Unburied Sing. Sing Unburied Sing. Yes. No, I was just making sure I'd pronounced everybody's name yeah, correctly yeah. In, my, in my moment there. Um, <laughs> it, it is – the writing is so good that even though it's grim, it it definitely is I – I won't say it's an easy read, but it's incredibly readable. Okay. So it's not a book you're going to struggle over reading. The subject matter you're str you will struggle with yeah. because it's just horrible to witness as we continuously seem to do that kind of injustice. And um, – for someone who's grown up as a, you know, a privileged white woman in the South, um, the undercurrents of all of these things that were hidden from us are, are just horrifying, and I think it's time to rip the Band-Aid off. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to... On that happy note. I'm going to go someplace completely different. Um, so I've talked on here before about the Postal Book Club that mm-hmm. I do. Um, and so one of the selections I got um, from one of the people in my group for that is this book called Great Goddesses by Nikita Gill. Um, this is actually the second book that this same person ha- mm-hmm. chose by this author. So I've read... Another one by her because of the Postal Book Club, which was called Fierce Fairy Tales. Um, So it's kind of a combination of poetry and sometimes little short vignettes. Um, This one, she looks at um, Greek mythology from, like, the Titans through, like, Greek goddesses and looks at it from a feminist perspective. So... um, tells the story of this um, and looks at the power of these female deities. Um, And then Fierce Fairy Tales looks at fairy tales through a feminist view, but also, like, looks at fairy tales from the perspective of everyone involved in it. So you look at things from the view of the villain, and you kind of come to understand that villains aren't born villains, villains are made villains, and... Um, just sort of taking a, a walk in the shoes of the person who's the bad guy is kind of interesting and looking at things from their point of view. So would this pair well with Cersei if you had just finished it? Because Cersei is a very feminist take right. on um, a, a, a goddess told from mm-hmm. um, her point of view. I think I think it would. I think this, it would be an interesting juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Like, um, And it, this is, I read it all in one sitting because it's, it's poetry yeah. and it goes very, very quickly. Um, and then there's uh, illustrations in it as well. But yeah, and it's nice because she's got a little um, glossary back here too. To if you don't necessarily know who mm-hmm. the person is from mythology, which I knew all of these because I'm kind of obsessed with mythology. Um, <laughs> you know, like it'll explain kind of a basic mm-hmm. understanding of who that person is, and then you know you can read the the poems and like i said and there's some of them that are not really poetry but just kind of a little well short it looks story fascinating there, it's, I, um, it's really good it, again this is not something that i would ever pick up on my own like mm-hmm. this is not a book that i'd be drawn to but i've actually really enjoyed both of them um i actually think i liked fierce fairy tales a little bit more than i liked that oh, one but so melissa is now handing me the book because it has a cover that screams "Ooh, jessica would like to read me <laughs> it does it is a great cover yeah it really is um oh i'm okay i'm putting that over in my pile now okay. <laughs> yes well so with all the heaviness going on um Oftentimes, before I go to bed or getting ready for bed, I like to listen to something. And um, recently, I've needed to listen to something kind of diverting. So I finished the Jane Austen Society, and I was having a hard time finding a book to fit that niche. And I stumbled upon Jenny Coughlin's The Bookshop on the Shore, which just came out. It's her second novel in this kind of series, but they're standalone. Mm-hmm. So you don't ha- there, there's some characters that carry over. But you don't need to read the first one to to get the second one. She is a British author. This takes place primarily in London and then Scotland. And it's it's just it was just such a nice, fun book to read or listen to. Um, first of all, it was fun to listen to because of the Scottish accent. Oh, sure. But it also is the story of uh 
bookseller. Well, it's the story of a, a single mother who's living in London and is in a desperate situation. The rent has been raised on her flat. Her absolutely useless father of the baby is not contributing to her support at all, hasn't told his parents about the child, just really, and calls his baby bro when he comes to visit him. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so she finally is desperate and and says that she needs to meet his parents because this just can't go on. And the child also is not speaking at all. Hmm. And so she's been to the doctor and she's worried about this and they can't find anything wrong. He doesn't get an autistic diagnosis. He's just not speaking and they don't know why. And so he gets his sister involved and she comes down to London and sees the whole situation and suggests that Zoe go to Scotland to be a nanny in this house with three children who have lost their mother and also takes care of the bookshop van mm -hmm. that her friend Nina drives because Nina is great with child. And so it turns out that Jenny is just what everyone, I mean, Zoe is just what everyone needs, but, um, but she has a hard time getting there. The children are really awful. As, as you would expect. As children always are when they've lost their mother and someone's coming in to nanny them. That, well, that's that's kind of the, the Mary her, Poppins trope. Yeah, they call her <laughs> Nanny Seven. Oh, nice. Yep, because yep. they say, you're not going to last and we don't learn anyone's names. Mm -hmm. We just call them Nanny One, Nanny Two. So they're sure. on Nanny Seven. But it, it is a somewhat predictable story. But there's an interesting way about... Um, about how she gets there in the end. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it as something, it was just nice to listen to something which was kind of romantic and um, normalish. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cozy novel. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if it fits in with real reality. It's just the reality as we would kind of like it to be sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love me some... British contemporary women's fiction. Yes. <laughs> well, this falls into the British contemporary women's fiction, and it does address some issues. It addresses some mental health issues, some addiction issues, mm -hmm. um, and some family recovery issues. And it also addresses that families are not traditional anymore and that it's okay mm -hmm. to create a family out of the people that you love. Yeah. Excellent. So, Yes, Jenny Coughlin, The Bookshop on the Shore. Very nice. Okay, so when we were kind of looking at things that we were going to talk about today, um, I went back through my last couple years of Goodreads reading challenges to look at things that I've read in the past, not necessarily things that I've been reading right now. And there's this tiny little book um, that I read last year, and I – only picked it up honestly because of the cover because I was just enamored of the cover of this book. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's As, a beautiful cover. Especially for someone who's a complete foodie like I am. Um, it's called The Cook and it's translated from French. It's by Mélie de Carangol. Like I actually um, looked up how to pronounce that. I don't think I did it right. But <laughs> I, I, close enough. Um, so it is a very, very short, um, it's like a novella. I mean, I would even say it's more like a short story, honestly. It's only 100 pages long. Um, 
And my only complaint with it, and I'm I'm just going to preface it by this, is that I feel like it's not complete. Like I feel like oh. it's like a, it needs to be part of something bigger. Um, it just it just kind of leaves you wanting a little more closure. But it is um, about a young man who is a self-taught cook, and he goes to work in the restaurant industry. And I liked it as someone who's been to culinary school and has worked in restaurants as a story of someone who chooses to work in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. It's because they have a passion for food and not because they didn't have any other options, which is, I think, a lot of times how people view people who work in restaurants. I mean, there's the whole celebrity chef thing, but I think that in a lot of cases, people don't think that people work in restaurants because, because they, want they to. really want to. And the majority of people who are working in restaurants are passionate about food and are, and really want to be and there. And wine and lots yeah, of things. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked in several restaurants over my high school and college career. And by the time I reached the level of fine dining, I really enjoyed being a waitress, a server. Mm -hmm. I guess I was a server then. I was no longer a waitress. <laughs> um, but I, there was a sort of rhythm to it, and mm -hmm. it was exciting and interesting. And um, Yeah, and there's something very, um, very noble, honestly, about the hospitality industry and really just creating food for people and wanting people to have a, a good time. And, you know, I – Anyway, so I, I liked it from that standpoint. I like that it's the story of someone who is passionate about food and wants to work in the restaurant industry. And so it's told from the perspective of a female narrator who's a friend of the main character. And you okay. never learn her name and you don't – there's a chance that she might be sort of in love with him, but that is never spoken. It's just the way okay. that she describes him. Um, and it just – he – goes to Paris, he goes to Berlin, he goes to Thailand to learn about food. And it's just kind of his journey working through restaurants. And it, I mean, nothing gigantic happens. It's just a little insight into this guy's life and about him learning about food. And Interesting. It's, it, like I said, it's 100 pages. I read it very quickly because it's a really a one-sitting sort of little thing. Um but just beautiful, and the translation is beautiful. Um, and yeah, no, it it again, the cover screams. Yeah, <laughs> read me. The co um, the cover is just is gorgeous, and it's it's a tiny little book, like size wise, like height wise. Mm -hmm. So it just gets sort of lost on the shelf, and I feel like it's one of those ones well, that you need to put it in your favorite. Yeah, it needs to be in my staff picks. Although I feel like it I know. probably like be hidden <laughs> in the shelf. You have to put a really big tag on it so yeah. people will know. Read me. Yeah, so it's it's just a little book that would just get kind of lost, but it's it's really worth reading. It's it's just no, well I done. it's it's been on my list to pick up and um. But my list is is so long right now. There's a lot of reading commitments. Um, Melissa and I both read for different book groups we lead, and um, I, so I'm, that brings me to another book, which I am going to mention just because it's this quirky Savannah novel that kind of gets overlooked because of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And this is um, Harry. I can never say his name because it's it's a double H name. It's um, Harry Hervey. Harry Hervey. <laughs> Three times fast. <laughs> Harry Hervey. The Damned Don't Cry. And it takes place in Savannah, but it's the Savannah of the 
um, I would say the early um, 20s or so. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, it is very, it's the savanna of the past that my grandfather used to describe. Um, their city market still exists. Broughton Street is the main shopping area. Um, you know, schooners pull up to the dock. Um, it's, it's a very poor and sleepy savanna. Um, mm -hmm. And there's still a train that goes to Tybee. There's streetcars that go out to Isle of Hope. And I really enjoy it. it it's a kind of dark story, actually. Well, isn't it? What or wasn't it considered very scandalous at the time that it well, was written? Well, indeed it was. <laughs> so the author is an interesting guy. Um, he was openly gay in a time when people were not openly gay. And he came to Savannah. His mother was the manager at the DeSoto Hotel, the old DeSoto. Not, not, the, not the current incarnation <laughs> of the DeSoto. And he came to visit her before he embarked as sort of a cruise director um, to Asia because he wanted to visit. Asia, and this was in the 30s, and um, and then he came back to Savannah. When he visited his mother, he met his lifelong love, and they lived together for 30 years with his mother. They lived in the DeSoto, and then they moved to Charleston, and um, Harry Hervey <laughs> is actually buried at Bonaventure with his mother, and then his um, longtime partner died in 1977, which mm -hmm. was later, and he's buried next to them as well. Oh. So it's a it's a really interesting look at Savannah. Now, the language is the language of its time, so be prepared that the way he talks about people um, is not the way we would talk about people. But it, it, it shows sort of the pecking order of everything. There's the Irish... They're the Greeks there and everybody is looking down on everybody else. And um, the main character, Zelda O'Brien, is just a little <laughs> girl when the story starts. She's seven and living in fairly extreme poverty over on East Broad Street where the Irish live. Her father is the town drunk and sort of a happy-go-lucky ne'er-do-well carpenter, um, although People use him because apparently he's the best damn carpenter in Savannah. And so um, pretty quickly her life changes and her I, – I don't want to give too much away, but her life changes. They become even poorer, and she's determined to work her way out of this poverty and to live uh, the, the life of a society lady. Mm. So she might have just been born poor white trash, but fancy was her name. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, yes. And that, that is a very good description. Um, and it, but Savannah itself really is a character. Now, and, and Harry uses very colorful language to describe the weather patterns and the, you know, um, so... It is a book of its time. It's almost like a movie script in some areas or evocative of a 1930s drama. Mm -hmm. But um, I would recommend it if you want to take a, a weird dive into a historical novel about Savannah. All um, right. It is, people called it the original Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil because it is, it is scandalous. There are, there are drunks and prostitutes and all kinds of going on. Mm. So, all right, there you have it. Um, okay, so 
something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jessica and I both, I think you're, are you still in the middle of it? Right I'm now? in the middle of it right okay. now. Um, I finished, I, I mentioned it briefly, um, couple episodes of the podcast ago um good boy my life and seven dogs by jennifer finney boylan um so i finished it um i will say i was i was concerned going in because listening to her talk about it it made me weepy about puppies going off to college um but it's it's less about the dogs um and more about her journey journey um because she is a transgender woman and um it's about her childhood and growing up and she's never feeling comfortable in her never feeling like she was really herself well but not in a not in her writing is lovely yeah it is it is um it's really well done and it's i think for people trying to understand what it's like to be transgender. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very good book because it is, um, although there are, there is sadness in some of the things that happen, she has such good people around her and she um, is just so honest and really not bitter and kind to even the people who were unpleasant to her through mm-hmm. this transition. Mm-hmm. And she describes her childhood in, in the land of being a boy, you know, not unaffectionately. Yeah, no, she, she didn't have an unhappy childhood, but there was always, as she describes it, there was always kind of, she always felt there was something a little different. And it, mm-hmm. and it took until she was much older for her to really understand what that was. Um, and, but it's so it's told it it follows her life and then there's thrown in with that the dogs that happened to be a part of her life at the time mm-hmm. and i got to tell you reading this book made me feel much better about the craziness of my dogs because <laughs> my dogs are freaking saints compared to some of the dogs that she had in her life oh come on playboy was a saint <laughs> yeah <laughs> There was a string of rather ill-behaved Dalmatians in there. Indeed. I, I just, just no Dalmatians. Well, <laughs> but I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this book and it's something that I pick up and put down again. So it's sort of, oh, I'm, I'm just need to read for 30 minutes and I'll yeah. sit and read it because it's almost separated into each chapter is almost like an essay of its own. Which is how I read it as well. Mm-hmm. Like, so I read like kind of a chapter of it a night interspersed with whatever novel I was reading at the time. So I would read that initially and then switch over to, to something okay. fiction. And and I will say we, we saw her when we were at Winter Institute and she's an incredible speaker, mm-hmm. really funny. And um, well, she hangs out with Robert Russo. So, I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and she's also a college professor yes. um, and you know, she's, she's a really uh, well, so she, I don't know if you've gotten to that part, but she was a, um, Charlie Kaufman's roommate in New York. No, I haven't gotten like, to that so, part. So she moves to New York, um, as a, as a young man yeah. when she graduates college and she meets this girl, um, who is, hel- who helps her find an apartment and her 
uh, her roommate is Charlie Kaufman. And I can't <laughs> even imagine that. No, it's just it's just interesting the the intersection of people's lives sometimes, like how small the world is. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I look forward to getting to that part. I'm yeah. still in the um, where we've left Playboy, but I'm not much further. Okay, so yes, very good. All right. Well, um, okay. So I'm going back to a book that I read quite a while ago. Really, it was at the I, I love this book for two reasons. One, it's just a good book. But the second one was I picked it up at the first Winter Institute that I ever went to. No, not Winter Institute. It was BEA. BEA. And they had it in Chicago, which they hadn't done in a long time, and they haven't done since. Yeah, because you had just gotten back from that when I started working at the mm-hmm. store, and you had the advanced reader copy of that. Right. Yeah. So I was I was a, a mere fledgling in my bookstore <laughs> career. I had um, uh, recently bought the bookstore, had gone to Chicago to try to um, find a good working POS system for the store and to make connections in the book world and really learn about my profession. And um, And it was a wonderful trip. I was completely by myself, which I'm, I'm kind of a shy person by nature out in the world. And so um, going to Chicago by yourself to a large <laughs> conference, large conference, <laughs> and knowing I knew absolutely no one. Yeah. Um, but it all turned out okay. People were very kind. And um, anyway, I picked this book up, The Knicks, which is by Nathan Hill, and it takes place in Chicago. So I was on the plane on the way home, and I opened it, and I ended up reading most of it. And it's a 600-page book, so yeah. it's um, – but it, it moves quickly. Like, it does. It moves really quickly. It's told in several different narratives. Mm-hmm. The main character is um, – well, one of the main characters, but I would say the main character. Yeah, I think the story kind of – all the different narratives come back to him. him. Right. So, so he's a professor. Um, and his mother, uh, he is estranged from his mother, mm-hmm. hasn't seen her since he was a child, grew up with his father, and suddenly a lawyer comes to see him, contacts him, and tells him that he needs to talk to him. His mother is in trouble, and he needs him as a character witness. Mm-hmm. And he thinks the lawyer must be insane because why would he be a character witness for this woman who left him? Yeah, who he hasn't seen his whole life, really. Um, And so it goes from there, and there's a lot more involved in it. And one of the narrators is the really horrible college student who um, threatens to blackmail him if he doesn't give her an A. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another character is a gamer. Yeah, it's it's a lot going on in it, but the – the main point of the story is his mother is being charged as a radical, and they bring up her past in the 60s, which he knows nothing about. Mm-hmm. He knows his mother is this very white bread kind of nobody housewife, mm-hmm. and it turns out, as it often does, that there was much more to her than that. Um, she's been arrested because she was sitting on a park bench, and a well-known candidate for president – a candidate or actually president uh, – I was thinking or maybe a candidate for, like, governor or so – I don't think it was for president. Maybe he was a governor and he was going – had presidential aspirations. Maybe. It's I'm sorry. It's been a long yeah. time since we read <laughs> this. But um, – and she's so angry, she picks up a handful of gravel and throws it at him, but it happens to hit him in the face and in the eye. Mm-hmm. And so it's looked at as an assault, and she's arrested. Mm-hmm. And – 
I I would go I would go from there. Um, yeah, it's um it's really interesting to see how it all wraps up at the end because there are a few of these storylines where you're not really sure how it ties in or why he's but it does bothered with that. Yeah, yeah. but it all comes together and yeah, um, it, it all comes together and it turns out that his mother um, has more of a relationship than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. with the person she and I'm using air quotes assaults because really <laughs> throwing a handful of gravel at someone when you're 70 years old is not you know a real assassination <laughs> attempt but <laughs> but um yes yeah, so the Knicks by Nathan Hill um it's it's a good read well and there was talk initially when the book came out that it was it had been optioned for a miniseries and it was supposed mm-hmm. to have Meryl Strip Streep in it I'm not sure if that's been shelved oh, or not. I don't know. I, I'm very curious because I, I was excited about that. But um, I know, and I'm looking forward to hearing something from him again. It's It's been a while, and I think mm-hmm. we're ready for book number two now. Well, and it has a blurb on the back from John Irving, who is one of my favorite authors of all time. So. Yes, mine as well. Yeah. Yes. So, The Knicks. Well, approved I th- by Melissa and Jessica. Yes, yes. Um, well, I think that's all we have for this week. Um, we will try and stick to a better schedule and be back in two weeks. We will. Um, yes, we. Um, sometimes we we can't read fast enough to have new titles to bring to you. But but now now that I've realized I can go back in my Goodreads, I can I can go back. But I'm going to have to do a little uh, research on the things that I've read because you know it's been longer than two weeks and I forget. <laughs> But it's been fun, and we've missed you guys. And, um, yeah, we'll Well, be back. Yes, we'll be back. Be well. Read the books. Lots of them. Bye. (laughs)